Hello, hello, hello. I am your Edna Lewis, hostess with the most, this Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to... Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. Goosebumps. Looking for a new high-end mascara without breaking the bank? The new L'Oreal Paris Panorama Mascara gives you a high-end lash look in a premium gold luxe packaging. It's all about panoramic volume and fully fanned out lashes. With its tapered brush, the new Panorama Mascara catches every single lash, giving you the false lash look without any of the hassle. Say goodbye to clumps and flakes because this mascara especially formulated to resist them all day with up to 24-hour wear. And the best part? It performs better than Luxe mascaras at only a fraction of the cost. You can buy Panorama Mascara on Amazon today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Bite.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Bite. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I'm your hostess with the most is Munoz. And did you miss me? Oh my God, guys. Folks, I can't believe that well over a hundred weeks later, I decided your best gal, pal Munoz, decided to take an MF break. I was like burning out. I just needed to like stop for a moment. You ever feel that? You ever feel like you just need to just stop, stop and just like... Take a moment for yourself and like, you know, reevaluate, recenter, reground yourself. And that was last week for me. I just needed a moment away from the computer, away from the microphone. And I am grateful to all of you out there who are still listening, who have allowed me the space to do that, to come back to you better than ever. In your mouth, listeners, I have been living my best rich white lady summer. <laughs> From Martha's Vineyard to Portland, Maine, to Sag Harbor, and back to Martha's Vineyard, I don't know who I think I am, but I am glad that I am barely paying for any of it thanks to my employers and my other work that I do. Folks, um, if you haven't been to Portland, Maine, the food is everything. We only had like half a bad meal in Portland, Maine. The kids are not playing in Portland, Maine. The chefs and the culinary people are really trying to create the experience and lay down good, locally sourced, really well seasoned and like amazing flavors and really interesting, you know, pairings and everything. 
it was it was a really epic and not so cheap experience uh, that I had in Portland, Maine. If you haven't been, check it out. And the other th- weird thing about Portland, Maine was there are pride flags everywhere, up and down the street. You can't turn a corner without seeing, and not only a pride flag, but the inclusive pride flag, but only about two gay bars, maybe one and a half, which I find very weird. I don't know where the gays are hiding in Portland, Maine. Maybe just away from the rich white ladies, but... <laughs> That's my assessment. And I'm just going to get to the getting on because we have a lot to cover today. And I am very honored and very, very excited. And my seat may be wet because I've been waiting a very, very long time. And I'm happy to call my guest today a friend, a sister, a companion, a trailblazer, queen, king, all of it. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, I have goosebumps, Michael Twitty. Say hi. Hello, kids. <laughs> I love I love after that intro, you came in so so gently and so soft. You know, us messy Kesha tops do that. <laughs> Not a messy Kesha top, Kurt. <laughs> No. Oh, my God. I am so happy that you're here and so grateful. Um, I can't thank you enough for giving me of your time today. Michael, in the grand tradition of In Your Mouth, before we get anywhere, I need to wish you, are you ready? Happy National Whiskey Sour Day. What? That's my whiskey sour day? Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> it couldn't be couldn't have been like whole cake day. Couldn't have been like, I don't know, barbecue and whole cake day. No, <laughs> well the four cakes the four cakes present are more than enough whole cakes for anyone. Okay. He- hello, hello. Truth be told, amen <laughs> to the gods. No, I was I was actually really excited for National Whiskey Sour Day because you are who you are. I really felt like you were going to come at me with, uh, did you know that whiskey sours and the whiskey was distilled back in the motherland of, like, I thought I was going <laughs> to get read the house down with facts and nutrition. Look, look, it was made out of yam. We could talk. But, uh, you know, I don't know about the whiskey sour, except there's something in the box. You know, that's one thing about me and drink culture. Drink culture is like where I draw the line. And I I know there's some people who hope and wish that, you know, I would be like that dude. But I, I like I'm really basic when it comes to that. And it's because I guess it's because of the the class politics of like being black or brown in this country. Like for real real talk, like like that that cabinet was off the hell limits. Yeah. Cause you cause you know, you were a kid. You weren't supposed to even out from a generation before, his coffee was off limits for God's sakes. You know, oh, coffee yeah. will stunt your growth. My grandfather's time, coffee will turn you white. <laughs> Any, oh wow! Yeah, man. Any all, all, all these little little folklore, little bruja stories to make you like back off. So I wish I was a cocktail person. I wish I was a drink person. Some days, but you know, I'll, I'll stick with biscuits. 
Well, let me do the job for you because I don't often go down uh, like a fall down like a really deep historical hole. But because you were here, I was like, "Ooh, I need to, I need to like rush up my Shakespeare, honey." <laughs> Come on. And so the whiskey sour officially dates back to the 1860s. But sailors in the British Navy had been drinking something very similar long before that. On long sea journeys, water was not always dependable. So to combat that, spirits were often use scurvy right shout out to you carol channon uh was another danger on these journeys so lemons and limes were consumed to help prevent the disease incidentally this is also one of the reasons why british folk are often called limeys limeys finally Uh sugar and water were added for taste at this point the drink is probably starting to sound familiar Look at that. Grog, the rum-based favorite of pirates across the seven seas, is made from the same components, substituting whiskey for this sugarcane-based spirit. But beyond that, I fell down a deeper hole of just like early distilling. And apparently, it is possible that the distillation process was practiced by the Babylonians in Mesopotamia in the second millennium B.C. with perfume and aromatics being distilled. And it wasn't until the Italians started using it for alcohol in the 13th century. That's like when the distillation process was being used. So take that, Michael Twitty. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Anything involving British sailors, I'm good with. Um, so that's all right with me. I was just telling everybody on Twitter the last night, I don't know why I say these things. This probably could launch us into a million conversations. Because, you know, they come to me, come at me for food stuff. And I'm just like, you know, one of the best memories of my life was being between two British saddies um, at XXL, probably at three o'clock in the morning on a Saturday as they played a 22 minute thumping version of New Order's Blue Monday. Happier moments of my life. But I loved all of that. And I, I remember the Lamy part. And somebody's probably screaming at the, the podcast right now. Yeah, Nestor King came to the Caribbean. We know who was doing that. Yes, we do. <laughs> Our, Michael's people and my people. We know. We know. We already yeah, know. That's right. That's absolutely right. Well, you know what, Michael? No matter what you celebrate out there in your mouth, listeners, we celebrate with you on this National Whiskey Sour Day. Uh, if you don't drink, you know, make a mocktail. And if you do drink, drink responsibly. And moving right along to this day in gay history, uh, it's not the most uplifting one today, Senor Twitty. Did you know that it, in 1982, Iran reinstitutes Islamic Sharia law prescribing all same-sex acts. Punishments include 100 lashes of the whip, beheading, and stoning to death. Damn. And, it's, and this kind of thing is still going on. I remember the last time we were able to have a sit-down, you were telling me about an incident, you know, in Spain where, you know, you know it's, it's just, it, it, it just, it's important to have these things. I know that sometimes people be like, you know, miss me with the trauma, but you know what? It's not, it, it's important to understand how good some of us have it, how fragile our rights are anywhere around the world, and also the constant need to be vigilant and be an advocate. So, nah, this, this, is, this, is, this is important. I'm glad that you, you availed us of that because I certainly don't know the bits and pieces of the history in that, you know, we forget that sometimes some of these draconian practices, particularly against gay men, they're, they're not forever. They, they come and they go and they ebb and they flow with people trying to achieve some kind of false sense of power. So, Well, I was just reading uh, 
And we don't have to get that deep into it, but we're here. So, like, you know, everything that's happening in Afghanistan right now. Oh, and, and they're dropping walls on us. Yep, yep. Right? Yep. Which is why we, you know, we, we sit here and we have the, the fun we've always had as gay men through trauma and through triumph. We, we, you know, it, it never actually changed as much, if anything. We're still in, we're still in defiance mode. Um, so I just feel like, yeah, this is while, while we're here, don't forget that we're acknowledging and we're advocating and we're working towards liberating all queer people, all trans people everywhere. Everywhere. Amen. Amen. And I think I've got, that's the best way to leave this day in gay history. And I want to get to the getting on it because I want them to know about you. And in your mouth, listeners, you probably already do know. And if you don't, I'm going to let you know right now. And usually I like pare down people's bios, you know, to make it fun and interesting and short to get to the meat. But you are this queen, this king, this beautiful person needs to be celebrated for all the work they've been doing uh, for so long. So let me tell you, in your mouth listeners, Michael W. Twitty is a living history interpreter, culinary historian, and food writer personally charged with teaching, documenting, and preserving the African-American culinary traditions of the historic South and its connections with the wider African Atlantic world, as well as parent traditions in Africa. He blogs at afroculinaria.com. He's appeared on Bizarre Foods America with Andrew Zimmern, Many Rivers to Cross with Henry Louis Gates, and most recently, Taste the Nation with top chefs Padma Lakshmi, and a special guest appearance in Michelle Obama's Waffle and Mochi show on Netflix, as well as the hit documentary High on the Hog. You know, to drop a couple names. HarperCollins released Twitty's The Cooking Gene in 2017, tracing his ancestry through food from West and Central Africa to America and from slavery to freedom. The Cooking Gene won the 2018 James Beard Award for Best Writing as well as Book of the Year, making him one of the few black authors so awarded. His piece on visiting Ghana in Bon Appetit was included in Best Food Writing in 2019 and was nominated for a 2019 James Beard Award. Twitty's next book, Rice, with UNC Press, is currently fresh off the presses. Kosher Soul, about his culinary journey as a Jew of African descent, will be out in 2022 through HarperCollins. He was most recently named a National Geographic Explorer in 2021. And if that wasn't enough for your soul, let me just repeat something, right? Michael Twitty hails from D.C., right? He launched Afroculinaria in 2010, a history blog that covers African and African-American foodways. Also in 2010, he worked with the D. Landreth Sea Company to compile the African-American heritage collection of heirloom seeds for the company's 225th anniversary. The collection features roughly 30 plants, including the long-handled dipper gourd and the fish pepper, showcasing how instrumental they were to African-American survival and independence. Right. Through then, he won the James Beard Award. Michael also founded and, and oversees the Southern Discomfort Tour, a journey through the American South designed to raise awareness about the impact racism had on Southern cuisine. The man does it all, to say the least. What's it like hearing all of this back? It's strange. It's strange. You know, Ted Fellow, Southern Foodways Alliance Fellow, um, the first uh, clo- the first 
revolutionary in residence at the Colonial Williamsburg Foundation. And for that's not pat on the back. That's how the hell did I get here? Um, these are places, Michael, that I, 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 I had this, this roaring feeling of I'll ne- people like me will never be acknowledged. I remember working at the Smithsonian as a paid intern, as a consultant, as a this, as a that, and walking through those offices and not seeing one black male. And going, and then seeing these other people, it seemed, almost seemed like they just slid in, you know, they just did their little cultural thing. This was in the Folklife office, so, the, so I was doing foodways. And just so people don't know, the Smithsonian Folklife Festival before COVID, you know, literally everybody would like, people would come to this thing. I think one of the biggest ones was the Silk Road, which was the year after 9-11. Yes, I remember the Silk Road. And I, I remember how they had all these countries, most of them were Muslim countries. And a lot of Americans simply didn't know anything about Islam or Islamic cultures or the fact that one was not synonymous with the other and all these things, you know. And, you know, I think like a million people showed up. So this is a big deal. But you go through those offices, and I remember before, there were just no, there were very few people of color, Very few, there were almost no young people of color. So I think that's kind of like the same thing in all these different organizational spaces. And growing up in the D.C. area and growing up being born in D.C., growing up in D.C. area, my father, uh, thank God, is still with us, who um, born in D.C. 80-plus years ago. I think people don't understand, like, you come up here and there's Chocolate City and then there's their city, you know? And, you know, kids, don't, our, our kids, black and brown kids, don't get to go to those big, marble, beautiful buildings and dream about being leaders of this country. You get to stay on over in Anacostia or over in Northeast or wherever you come from or the ghetto burbs around the city. And you could, you, I'm sure you could ask somebody my age, ask 10 random black men my age and be like, oh, you're from PG County, you're from MoCo, you're from, you're from this, you're from Calvert, you're from wherever, you're from over in Alexandria, have you ever been in the Capitol? Most of them would say no. Have you ever been to the Library of Congress? Most of them would say no. I mean, this, you know, so for me to like, I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, though, like this past Sunday, my husband and I went to this gathering um, for food. It's this lovely lady, uh, gastro soul lady on Instagram. She's a Congolese American and she and her husband had us and some people over. And this lady walks down the steps to her backyard. And I said, Laverne Page, is that you? And Miss Laverne Page, she, she hates that I called Miss Laverne. Miss Laverne Page was at the Library of Congress when a 16-year-old Michael Twitty walked in with a permission slip from his principal. Because back then you couldn't just walk up in there if you were under 18. You had to get a letter from your principal saying that you had a reason to get that, a reason to read a book to be there, right? And the look on her face when she saw me, she knew me when I was 16 and I stumbled in there going, I'm going to write a book one day. And she was like, all right, young black man, because she's also a black lady. I said, like, all right, cool. I'm going to hook you up. We'll see, what this, we'll see how this goes. And the look of absolute satisfaction on her face when she saw, the, saw a 44-year-old me. It, yeah, it was very emotional. She, and the thing about it, she didn't, she didn't really understand. I don't know if she understood it. I think she put a lot of weight into, you know, just being nice, just being respectful, just being encouraging changed my life. Because I promise you, a lot of those spaces, and that was also, by the way, the time when I was coming out in my school newspaper. So here I was, openly gay, black male, 
in the D.C. area dealing with all the issues, all the stuff. And some of it was slow roll. It wasn't an immediate sort of like catastrophe. And some of it was, you know, I, I had it lucky. I mean, I'm here. I didn't lose nothing. I didn't get into any fights. I stood my ground as a queer youth. I also had issues of invisibility, et cetera, but I'm still here. But can you, I mean, just, just, just thinking about what you just said, like, what does that sound like to you? What does that feel like to hear that back? I just, I just look at all these young folks out here, especially queer creatives, and I'm just telling them, the reason why I do what I do isn't for adulation, it's not for validation. It's because you constantly get told, and there's no room for you. And I want you all to understand that there is absolutely room for you. Everybody has a story that's important to tell and to be heard, and stories about others that they want to tell that are important to be heard and to be seen. And I think we, both you and me, are living proof that it's not about it's not about waiting for somebody else to tell your story or rep you. It's about doing what you gotta do to tell that story for yourself and for your people. And that's just what that's just what we do. We just we represent, we go out there, we, we sashay, we get our tens, we take the prize home. Amen. Amen. And this is where you and I meet at the crossroads. And this is also why when I first discovered you. Uh, a while, a long while ago, that I was very enamored, very enamored and in awe that I was like, oh my God, this person is doing the thing, living, living as a black man, like really making a mark in the culinary world and in a very specific way. But you're also, you're also Jewish and you're also gay, right? And it's just like, mm-hmm. wait, wait a minute, how... How is this? How is this all? What? Who manifested you? What ancestors and gods were like? <laughs> this, this shall be yes. let it rain, and Michael yes. Twitty shall be created. No, but in your mouth, listeners, you have to realize that you know out there that I meet a lot of my guests, or I don't know a lot of my guests, right? Because we meet through the internet, so on and so forth. And Michael Twitty and I have had the pleasure before even recording, have a, uh, I was very blessed with him inviting me out to some cocktails just to a little get to know you. And we've had the best time ever. And you know what really is inspiring to me is that, you know, you and I, um, to meet somebody on a parallel road, right? We're doing, uh, the the goal is, the goalpost is kind of set the same, right? I'm doing my thing my way. You're doing your thing your way. Also creating a path for people of color and queer people in this food space, you know? Yeah, no matter how it goes, it's it's very parallel, right? And me being me being a little lighter about it, right? For lack of a better way to put it, Um it's it's just really enamoring to like kind of come together and finally finally after working all these years right like and feeling alone in this space you know of creation to be like oh wait a minute hey where have you been and like yes like whoa i often and if you've ever heard me on somebody else's podcast i often actually reference you uh michael because somebody will ask me uh, the history of something or somebody will ask me some sort of question i'm like that's not my gig call michael twitty (laughs) (laughs) i can't that's what he does my gig is to like 
you know, open the doors and like give this platform to people to tell their stories, to give us that access, right? Because no one else is giving us that access. But I kind of wanted to start in a really different place. You know what? After you're done being, you know, Michael Twitty, Afro-American Jewish homosexual super shiro food avenger, (laughs) (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, what's like, what's the go-to like decompression guilty pleasure? The Oval. Straight up. Now, it used to be like Bigfoot, stu- Bigfoot stuff. Now it's like any of these Tyler Perry soap operas. And I'm so ashamed. But, you know, I love it because, you know, something like after years of going, I ain't watching that shit. Like a friend of mine, my chef brother, Harold, who I've done a lot of stuff with, he was at Colonial Winsburg. We were like, we were literally done interpreting slavery um, through our food, you know, food ways at Colonial Winsburg. And I'm just chilling with him and his crib and his girlfriend. And I'm like, what the hell is craziness? And so I just started watching Oval with them and other, you know, like-related shows. And I'm just like, this is the best way to, like, come down out of my, like, you know, culinary social justice, you know, heal the trauma, know your history, dead people kind of thing. And I, like, I joke about it, but, like, there's other part of it goes like this. The ancestors... You know, we think of them as these, like, you know, well-rested angels running around doing their work. And sometimes they're very, they're very, I call them my board of directors, right? And I feel like they're board, your board of directors, too. They're very, you know, they can be lovely and beautiful and nice and loving and, and encouraging. And they certainly, they certainly can make miracles happen. But not all, not, I tell people on a, on a serious note, not all ancestors are, mm-mm. some of them are so hurt and so whatever. They're demanding, they're bosses, they're like... And so, you know, I'm like, I'm like, what, what did the guy call me? One of my recent, she said he called me Oda May, like Oda May from Ghost, the Whoopi Goldberg's character. Uh-huh. Cause you know, cause he's like watching me do my thing. And he said to me, I don't know if you realize this, but like, you literally like grandma came through and mama came through and grandpa came through and this and this and this and this one. And somebody from like 200 years ago come through and I said, yeah, that's how they work. And weird ish will start to happen around me. And I had to tell him, look, I am in the shower. Y'all need to go now. I've had it. We've we've done our work for the day. Y'all can go back to the afterlife. I'm her. I need to watch my little show. The oval. <laughs> and drink the, oh, baby, baby. <laughs> and and uh, listen, I live for the president on the oval, even though he's a dirtbag. I'm just like, he is like my ultimate one of my ultimate daddy forms. I have several like key daddy forms. Uh-huh. LL is one of my dad key daddy forms, and like as in Todd um, Smith. Yes, I mean to the gods. Um, <laughs> Not and, LL Cool J, but yes, oh, LL yes, cool. beautiful. I called I, him called him by his birth name, Mister Todd Smith. Mister Todd Smith, hello, Todd. That, that's a very that's a very plain Jane name. It's very basic. But oh yeah, a, a hunter, whatever his name, whatever the actor's name is, on the Oval. My God, oh, he could be my present any day of the week. Ooh, so, uh, ooh, ooh. Lord listen. Have mercy. During during Christmas, um, and this is going to sound real basic, that Medea Christmas plays on repeat. I cannot get enough. <laughs> I cannot get enough of like the Medea movies of it all. Oh See? my goodness! Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. 
It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Listen, way back when, when you agreed to come on the podcast, one of my favorite things that you like said to me was you wanted to talk about, like, gay food, queer food. So yes. what, what about food is inherently gay or not? Or, or should I ask, like, what makes food gay? I was happy. I'm, I'm happy you asked that because I was thinking about this today even. I remember going to this presentation I did at uh, UNC um, in, in Asheville, North Carolina. And this, I don't know if he was... Ask it to be provocative or, or, or whether he was annoyed. And he says, well, gay. What makes food gay? What's gay about food? Why you gotta be, why you gotta be gay? And um, I'm, I'm probably putting, putting a little bit more nay-nay in it because he was not a nay-nay person. And I was really surprised that I was able to, like, kill that answer. Because first of all, I was like, wait a minute, hold up. The, the first problem is you don't see how heterosexualized food is. I said, y'all be running around sending chocolates on Valentine's Day. You eat oysters to be virile. You associate certain foods with certain parts of heteronormative intercourse. You, you know, you you make a big deal out of a woman being able to maintain her man by her cooking. You also make a big deal out of a man being able to make three good meals a year to go to the pet store. Excuse my excuse my language. And, yeah. and like y'all do that, but y'all do that. Y'all, you have these sexualized associations with food. You also use food to communicate ideas about the traditional family um, that are that are, you know, the idea of passing down recipes is like the idea of passing down genes. I mean, all of that's inherently baked into the culture. So people don't understand when you say gay food. Okay, so let's go, let's go do the reverse. So first of all, there was this incredible book that my ex had that the ex guy I didn't get in the in the divorce. And it was this book about hospitality it had it was from 1960 something we got to find this book there's a whole chapter on gay men and what i remember of this was the 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 writer of the book says you know they're the best cooks they're the best they make the best appetizers and cocktails but don't trust them with your business (laughs) you know like literally goes in this dummy deep dive detail in how to navigate having gay male friends this is like before stonewall you know, and it's and it was interesting because I just thought, okay, there's so many tropes in here. But this idea that we are the esthetes of, of of food, there's something about us, and we have often shrank back from that. You know, I think a lot of straight chefs in the restaurant world and culture, they go, they try to go real hard to prove that they're not us. It's very interesting. They want to have, they want to, they want to ape like they have our perspective, but they don't want to be us. And I think it's very, it's very compatible. And very comparable to people who want to be black, brown, indigenous, Asian, but they don't want, but they don't want to live in blues. And as far as I'm concerned, I think both of us come from a world where, you know, the kitchen was first of all a a, a safeguard place for a lot of Jewish men, for a lot of Latin men, for a lot of uh, Afro descendant African um, descended men, a, a lot of Filipino men. I've noticed that the the, the the refrain comes up of grandma or mother or somebody or gay male elder was in the kitchen. I went to the kitchen for protection. I went to the kitchen because I didn't get beat up like at the playground. I didn't get questioned. I could be useful. I could be helpful. I could learn to be grown. 
I also, like you and me, both of us, our mothers were like, you better get on in there and do them dishes. You better get on there and walk my that floor. You better, I was horrible at it. But you better get on there and do, you know, that kind of work. But also, the same, in that same space, we were also making a sofrito, right? We were also doing these other things. And it was a place where we could be, and I, and I know that I'm speaking in very gay male terms at the moment, and I, everybody else, that's not a, that's no, no diss, no tea, no shades, was what I know. Yeah, but that, that. I mean, but that's the question here. Yes. And that's what I, that's what I know. But I, I remember that that was a place where you could actually express and be different and take on these quote unquote traditionally female, which they weren't always roles and roles and things. And of course, you were in the middle of of part of uh, for a lot of us part of a culture that crossed gender lines. You know, if you were in that kitchen when your grandmother and sisters were in that kitchen. You you heard people, human beings, talk in your family in very different ways than when you were around the male folks in your family. I mean, we were we were atypical in a lot of ways, but I but we still have those those things. So the the kibitzy, semi gossipy, I, I want to gossip, but you heard it from me kind of culture that you know people hear in the in our that let, where does that come from? It comes from being in these kitchen spaces. You know, and there were no male aprons when we were growing up. Little, no. We were little. There were no, there was no, no, you, you literally had to like, it was your first openly acceptable cross dress. Oh, wow. I actually never thought about that. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, mm-hmm. for a lot of people, absolutely. But um, anytime we were in the kitchen, especially like when it's like, holiday season and you're making like labor intensive foods that like you know right. you you make a ton of like pasteles or something or coquito mm-hmm. that you make a ton of and freeze right for the year um it was always like old t-shirts you know things you didn't care about things that were torn and ripped you know and it was just like and when you were a little boy what they do they put that old the old girl grandma apron on you yeah and you did a spin Uh i always had the blanket around me right doing (laughs) love it doing but we are living in a material world i was obsessed see see but i mean this is this is what it is and also i think gay food is you know i remember i remember every single time when someone made me a meal to impress or i made someone a meal to impress and i guess impress also includes you know um, the after after party, you know, as well. But that's the thing. If you, if if my food is so good that I get the after party, uh-huh. you know what I'm saying? Then obviously, obviously, my whole being, my whole identity is going into that plate. You know, I'm thinking about a lot of things. We we as gay men talk a lot about top food versus bottom food, which you know I don't really understand because I'm not. I'm only on one side of the fence in that, and. And there's also this whole idea. That's very um, real, though, Michael Drake. Yes. <laughs> well, I don't, well, I, my husband reminds me of that. That's and I'm very just real like, because oh, okay. when I was a young, when I was a young warthog, um, <laughs> my friends used to make fun of me and be like, and I'm about to get crass in your mouth, listeners, but my friends in my early Twinkie Michael Munoz used to be out there eating Indian food and they'd be like, oh, Michael Munoz will go eat Indian food and then go get his ass ate, you know? (laughs) Uh, Right? And then they'd be like, you can't be doing that. And I was like, why? (laughs) 
Well, the, and that's and that's it. That's it. These are things that reveal themselves over time. I mean, I, I really, I'm gonna, you know, I'm starting to write about this. Not, you know, just kind of like do my rough drafts because I really want to write a whole volume on this issue, on this topic and issue because I think it plays itself out in so many interesting ways. Um, I think, you know, I just think about like all those like gay steakhouses that used to exist. You know, where the older men would go. Yeah. And I think about, like, um, just the idea of us having um, anti-Thanksgiving when I was, you know, probably in my mid early to mid-20s, where we would rescue ourselves from a horrible Central Maryland uh, Thanksgiving with family who didn't always understand us. And then the very next, next night, Friday night or Saturday night, we would have anti-Thanksgiving, where we would bring... Uh, we would go you know, eat with our queer and ally family, and we would all bring something a different color, the pride flag. Of course, at least one of those things had to be Jello and Jello shots. But it was like about having that rainbow food on the table and and watching Margaret Cho and 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 playing board games and celebrating each other, and having house music and voguing competitions in our living rooms and stuff. And that was that was part of it. So I think uh, the, guess the best answer is I think a lot of people tend to like pigeonhole us gay is only what you do in the bedroom no it's not nope no nope sorry i'm not gonna let you let you get away with that gay and lesbian and being non-binary and being trans and and all the different parts of the rainbow that are there it it's 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 it doesn't have to be sexual but if it is it's okay and it doesn't have to be in the bedroom but if it is kids it's okay mm-hmm. and it is often manifested in the kitchen you know, we, you, what is that little joke we we always used to hear people say? The kitchen and the bedroom. I was good in both rooms. That's right. <laughs> well, well, those why those two rooms? Because those two rooms are the most passionate rooms in the house. Amen. That's a Golden Girls quote. You right? know, that, right? That's a Golden Girls quote. But it was also something that I remember hearing. Yeah. From old black ladies long time ago. Yep. You better, you better keep two best rooms. I'm good in the kitchen and the bedroom. Hello. That's right. That's right. And look, look, la cocina. <laughs> right <laughs> and it's like and it's, and it's because that passion that energy that healing look that healing yeah that's why it's a gay space too right yeah because the minute i mean people don't understand this michael the minute that you accept yourself and you understand it's okay for you to take pleasure in this corporeal life yeah you know in eating and in and in and in rum, sex and romance and also cuddling I mean, we bears, we can, we can get together in pajamas and cuddle for hours before anything actually fun happens. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but, you know, we're also the same people who love to eat more than any other gay group, which I, honey, let me tell you something. I'm going to get real talk. I will not eat in front of three, in front of more than three gay men. Uh, really? Nope. Taboo. <laughs> Taboo. Listen, I went to, listen, I was in your lovely city. Many years ago, and I went to like I was it Bear Weekend or was it Leather Something Weekend? I don't know what it was. And it, I went to the the New York the, the New York City Eagle, and they had like this all you can eat bear brunch. And I was not going there for food. I was like I had listen, I had my my whatever I had long before I walked up in there because I was like no way in hell these gay men can catch me eating a damn thing in front of them. And and just as I walk in. The thing has been going for two hours. They've already run out of food. And right now, all they have is potato salad. 
And I remember this one guy had this paper plate with potato salad, and he didn't have any utensils, so he was kind of like tacoing it and like shoving the potato salad in. And these other, these other equally portly and stocky like me, gay men, were like being so judgmental. They were like, oh my God, look how much he's eating. As they still have barbecue sauce in their cheeks, I was like, hell no. <laughs> Y'all ain't doing that to me. Uh-uh, uh-uh, not today. Not oh today, God. Wendy Williams. Y'all ain't gonna judge me today. No, ma'am. No. So I, so I, so I, have, a, I have a rule about that. I do not eat in, more, in front of more than three gay men. Funny sidebar story. Many, many years ago, when an old friend Ryan of mine worked in, like, hotel sales... And the, he often got these trips. So we went to Montreal. Yes, we went to Montreal. And, you know, touring the city, whatever, in this beautiful hotel room. And our flight wasn't until later in the day. So we're like, what are we going to do with our luggage? We've seen everything. It's winter. It's cold here. What are we going to do? Let's go to the bathhouse, right? Because right. Uh, you could rent a room and, like, put your luggage in and maybe have some fun there while you're not. While, and right. if not, at least there's a steam room and jacuzzi. Right. Right. <laughs> so we go to the bathhouse on a Sunday. Nary a person to be found. It is a ghost town, except for Ryan and I. So we're like, whatever, spa day at, uh, at the bathhouse in Montreal. <laughs> whatever. Lo and behold, I want to say like one o'clock rolls around. And this pizza delivery guy with like 40 boxes of pizza <laughs> shows up. And I was like, what in gay hell is going on? And out of nowhere, I am telling you, I swear on everything. Out of nowhere, like ants to honey, all these men came out of the woodwork. And we were like, where, where are all these men hiding? And do we all really want to be eating pizza right now? <laughs> Let me tell you, I ate that pizza and got right back into that jacuzzi. <laughs> All right, so so I'm gonna I'm gonna like tell this story in the most I'm gonna edit but not edit. So this is this is this is wonderful for me. It's very liberating being on this podcast. Okay, so I I am a spiritual religious man. Judaism, elements of African spirituality, indigenous spirituality, um, all you know, paint are part of my rainbow. So everybody should know that. And I don't, I don't see that as being separate from my personal life. Um, to a point, I do, because I do have some of those distinctions. Okay, let me get to the good part. So not that, well, probably more long ago than I want to admit. I was at a men's gathering in Washington, D.C. And, you know, it was all fun and good. I, you know, I was watching my P's and Q's. I saw some things that were a little bit more adventurous or a little bit, you know, risky, shall we say? Turtlenecks and high-waisted pants. Oh, see. Mm. <laughs> and I'm wandering around. And so I had, I had, you know, I had a few dates while I was there. And after my last date, I decided to go get something to drink. And so this person had, they would open up their duplex, small duplex apartment, and they would have a lot of guests. Let's put it that way. So one of them was this daddy, and he was all up out there. And he had the whole, he had his little prints you know, medallion on him, in, you know. And I was serving this table full of potluck food, which I was not going to touch. And there was a crock pot of chili. First of all, I was like, what the hell is chili doing at this men's gathering? Because that is not the kind of thing that, okay. But it got worse because apparently daddy number, however many that were there, because there were many, um, I looked over at the chili and looked over at him and apparently he was he was temporarily adding 
um, things to the chili that didn't belong there. And I was like, how is it that you cannot feel that metal piece in your thing in this hot ass chili in the crock pot? How is it you are? No- oh, good Lord, God. I, I said, you know, I haven't seen it all now. I didn't listen. I didn't touch chili for like years of that, honey. And I sure as hell did not eat a damn thing at that men's gathering. Because I was like, mm-mm, mm-mm, daddy got the, got the thing up in the chili. I don't know. Well, no, nah, we don't do that. Ma'am. <laughs> Uh-uh. I'm dying. Uh-uh. I'm dying. Before I take you out to the break, I really wanted to ask you, because we're on the subject of like queer food, gay food, the queerness in food. You know, through your travels and through your like, you know, explorations and, you know, archaeological food quests, uh, if I may call them that, do you find or have you found traces of us um, or remnants of the queer ancestors? Or does that come up through your food tracing and and what you do like ha- has that like popped out at you anywhere in your mouth listeners it is overly apparent from the last 40ish minutes that michael twitty is a wealth of knowledge and can tell a story like nobody else i want to leave you all with that cliffhanger of does michael actually find traces of our lgbtq ancestors in his work and travels because you are going to want to hear what he has to say. Next week, in part two of my interview with Michael Twitty, we go on to explore his findings. Obviously, we have an epic food news update, get a glimpse into his work and his life, and how he would like the legacy that he leaves behind to be used and spread. Also, and obviously, we laugh so, so, so much more. Many and major thanks and a shout out to the one and only Michael Twitty for coming on the pod and giving me of his time today. If you want to go show him some love, his Instagram handle is at the cooking gene, the cooking G-E-N-E. And that's about it for this week, folks. As summer starts to wind down for most of us, I want to wish you mental health, happiness, and love. So with that, all I have to say is thank you for listening to In Yo Mouth.